1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, and it reads like this. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Fighting comes naturally, doesn't it? It comes naturally. Everyone knows how to do it. From the earliest of ages, we know how to punch. We know how to struggle. We know how to scream. Let our legs fly and our arms flail. It just comes naturally. It's like it's inborn. It's like woven into the fabric of who we are. And yet at the same time, there's an art to fighting, isn't there? There's, there's something that we learn as we grow older. We learn that fighting is a skill. And we discover that, that fists are more effective than a slap. And, and we learn that, you know, everyone loves a good chokehold. And, and nothing is quite as devastating as a few well-crafted words. And when all else fails, we know. Sweep the leg, Right? If you watch Karate Kid, you know that. If you want to win, if you want to accomplish the goal, you've got to work on your technique. You've got to build your strength. You've got to work on that agility. Those who have seen it, it, it it's hard to forget that iconic image of that dark-haired Italian running through the streets of Philadelphia dressed in that gray sweatsuit. Rocky knew that he had a fight coming, and he knew that he needed to train for it. He needed the skills. He needed the swiftness. He needed the moves to be able to defeat that opponent. In 1 Timothy 6.11, Paul tells his young protege, Timothy, he says, fight the good fight. And he gives him some very important instructions for how he is to do that. But you know, before we talk about the how-to, I think it's important that we talk about the why. Why fight in the first place? Paul answers, Paul's answer to Timothy is, because you know who you are, and you know who you belong to. Timothy, Paul says, was a man of God. Man of God. Now that's a phrase that's used often in the Old Testament for all kinds of different people. But in the New Testament, it's only given to one man by Paul. Paul wanted Timothy to know that he wasn't like other people. That Timothy was a man who was singled out 
for a special purpose. Unlike some people who just wander through life aimlessly, maybe they, they just go with the flow. And even unlike those who are ambitious, who, who know where they're going, and they're going to get there, they're going to accomplish their dreams. Even unlike them, Timothy was a young man whose life was reserved solely for the purposes and the glory of one person. It wasn't Caesar. As much as people in that day probably would have said, yeah, I'm, I'm Caesar's man. No. Timothy was set apart for God. What's so special about that, you ask? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. In our day and age, being God's man may not strike a chord of... Um, inspiration. There was a day when holy men were revered, right? When men whose lives, men and women whose lives were devoted to the ministry and the mastery of the Bible, well, they were respected. I'm told that there was even a day when pastors could go tee off at the local golf courses for free. Somehow I missed that. I don't, I don't, I don't know how. I wish I was born, I was born for the wrong time. But here in 2020, to be a man of God or a woman of God is to be considered more of a fanatic than something fantastic. A person who devotes themselves to ministry is more likely to be seen as an ill-informed, miseducated, narrow-minded, foolish bigot rather than a role model. Man of God. Isn't that what people who can't do anything else in life become? Man of God? Isn't that what lazy people who have too much time on their hands, too many wacky beliefs, and have just have that knack for getting way too up in other people's business, isn't that what they turn into? Whatever the opinions were, the impressions were in his day, Paul wants Timothy to know. There is no more sacred or high calling, or title, given to anyone on earth than the title, man of God. Why is that? Is that because of how special Timothy was? No. It was because of who God is. That's what makes that title significant. That's how our passage, and I would argue the grand finale of this letter to Timothy ends. Who is God, this God that Timothy is man of. Look again with me at verse 15 here. God is he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion, Amen, Paul says. Who is God? Well, he's the only sovereign. There are people out there who claim to have some type of power, some type of authority. There are nations out there that say that they hold the reins on their destiny. They have the, the authority to exercise complete control. But the reality is there is only one who is absolutely in control, and that's God. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. You and I might know authorities uh, who are over us. 
Whether we respect them or not, they are over us and we have to listen to them. But even the highest authorities have a single authority, an all-powerful authority, an all-knowing authority to whom, whether they know it or not, they will one day give an account. That's God. He alone has immortality, Paul says. Kings come Kings go, don't they? They're here one day, they're gone the next. They prop themselves up and they say, look what I did. Look how much better this is than anything that has ever been before. I did it all. And yet we see them go. And we can visit the gravesides of some of the most powerful people in history. They had their day, didn't they? There's only one, though, who has no beginning and no end. Who was and is and is to come. That's God. He dwells in unapproachable light, Paul writes. Hebrews 12, 29 says, our God is a consuming fire. One pastor writes this, in this age of casual familiarity with God, it is well to remember his utter holiness. While God is our loving, gracious Father, he nevertheless dwells in unapproachable light. He is transcendent, totally beyond us. He lives in an atmosphere of absolute purity, far too holy for mortals to ever enter. As Paul put it, no one has ever seen him or can see him. Do you remember the story of Moses in Exodus 33? Moses wanted to see God's glory, so God shoved him in the cleft of a rock. And then, only then, was Moses able to see just the after effects of God's glory as God passed by. Amazing. To him be honor and eternal dominion. That's the one to whom Timothy belongs. That is the one that he has been set apart to serve, the one who has eternal dominion. That's why, above all else, Timothy must devote himself. All that he is, all that he has, is for God. Timothy was a man of God. Now, you and I might be saying something like, you know, that's great. That's really something. That's impressive. It makes sense that Timothy would want to take very seriously Paul's words to him. Good for Timothy. But here's the thing. If you and I have placed our trust in Jesus Christ, it's critical that we realize something. It's critical that we realize that we share that same identity and that same status as Timothy. We have been called out. We've been fused together, and we've been set apart as the people of God. First Peter, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, For his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, 
you who feel insignificant and mistreated and disrespected in the world, you who are struggling to get by every, every and each difficult day that comes before you, you who are frustrated with the way things are, maybe tempted to just lay low, maybe fade out, maybe just go with the flow for a while, you who are forced to worship online or maybe outside, don't forget who you are and whom you serve. You are God's people. Yes, that God. The one who holds all the cards. The one who's got governors and presidents and kings and any other type of rule. He's got them under his thumb. The one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who loved you enough to give his only son for you, but whom you should never get too comfortable around. Like C.S. Lewis's lion, Aslan, he's good, but he ain't safe. That was Timothy's God. That's your God. That's my God. Timothy was the man of God. You and I are the people of God. And someone might say, okay, that's great. So what? What does that mean for us? So fight. Fight the good fight. Well, what do you mean? You mean uh, swing? You mean, you mean kick? You mean throw a punch? Grab? Maybe drop to the floor? And why don't we just drop to the floor like three-year-olds and just flail our arms and start screaming and crying like babies until we get our way? No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about here. Paul has a very clear understanding in mind of what it means to fight the good fight, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. To be born again is to be born into this fight. When we started our study of 1 Timothy several months ago, we started with the idea that uh, ideas matter. Do you remember that? Ideas have consequences, and, and there's a battle for ideas that has been raging throughout all of human history. It's a battle that began when humanity first decided to, that trust and obedience to God might not be the fastest route to maximum joy and happiness. And I guess when you think about it, it, it actually wasn't that much of a battle at all. God didn't put much of a fight up at all. He said what they were not to do, they did it, and it was over. That was it. From the moment those teeth sunk into that, the flesh of that piece of fruit, humanity plunged itself into darkness. We became blind to what was true, slaves to what was wrong, and servants of self. And not very good servants, I might add. Because when we serve ourselves, we actually end up doing ourselves more harm than good. Um, but Christ came to rescue us. That's the good news, isn't it? That's what we're going to celebrate this Christmas season, that Christ came as our one and only hope. He came that we might be called out of that, that we might be set free from the power of sin, have our eyes open to what is true, and live for what is right. That's when the real battle began. Christians, from the moment they turn from sin and turn to God, they're born into a fight. 
Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Those who were Christians are soldiers. Near the end of his life, and looking back, Paul wrote, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. What is this fight? What does it look like? Well, it's the fight against the way things were. It's the fight against the lies. It's the fight against rebellion. It's a fight against those sin-warped desires that well up inside and urge us to indulge in things that are harmful and outside of God's design. It's a fight to stand against the tide of, of a worldview that's pushing hard against its creator. It's the fight to boldly stand and proclaim what is true, no matter how unpopular it may be, or how countercultural it may be, how offensive it may be to a world that actually desperately needs to hear it. That is the good fight. The Greek word for fight used that Paul uses here, it's where we get the English word agonize. It's in the, pr the present imperative tense, which indicates that this is an ongoing, strenuous effort to live out the faith, to live, to breathe, to hope according to what God has revealed to be true in his word. He tells Timothy in verse 12, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, he's not saying that Timothy somehow needs to find eternal life out there and grab it. You became a Christian, okay, that's good. But you know there's this thing called eternal life out there. You've got you to get your, your net and you've got to find it. Whoa, there it is. No, 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 no. He's, he already has eternal life. That's what Christ secured for him. Now before him is actually living as if he has it. He has to live it out. Take hold of it. This is yours. This is yours in Christ. You are a new creature. You have a new identity. Your home is heaven. He has done a change, a transformation inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now you're indwelt by him. And he is forming you, shaping you, making you into God's person. Now live it out. Live the way that God wants you to live. Timothy had taken the oath. Paul points out that he had made the good confession, probably when he was baptized before the church. He said, I'm going down. I'm going down. This is my life crucified with Christ. But you know what? I'm not staying down. I'm coming up out of the water. I have new life because of what Christ has done in me. He's done, what he's done in me is the same thing he's done in you. Let's walk this thing together. Now Timothy has to follow through follow through. And those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus, the same task is before us. Follow through. We know that's not an easy thing to do though, right? It ain't easy. Every day we're faced with new challenges and new temptations and new voices that try to take our eyes off of what is true, try to convince us to buy into all these different lies. It's a battle. It's a fight. So how do we fight? How do we fight? Perhaps not in the ways that we might naturally think. The good fight of faith, 
that men and women of God give themselves to. It's one that requires skills. It's one that requires techniques. But those techniques were lost to humanity long ago. Here we go. First of all, we fight. We fight the good fight. We fight by flight from things that are not in line with a life of faith. Paul says in verse 11, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. And we, of course, ask, what are these things? Well, we know what one of them is. It's the same thing that we talked about last week. We need to defy and flee from that old urge to seek personal gain. That's what was going on in the church. Remember, there were these men in the church who were twisting what was true. They were trying to appear intellectually superior, or maybe morally superior, even spiritually superior, but not for the glory of God, not to make God look good, not to point people, wow, do you see this God? Do you understand what he did and how amazing this is in sending Jesus Christ to earth that you might be washed clean and forgiven through his sacrifice? Do you understand? No, 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 no. That was not what they were about. They were about showing themselves off so that other people People might look to them and give them what they wanted. Was it respect? Was it money? Was it fame? Was it the satisfaction of stirring things up in that church? Maybe taking attention off of those other faithful church leaders? I don't know what it was, but it was personal gain. The man of God, the woman of God, the people of God, they need to run from those old desires. There are certain things that just don't jive with the life that God has called us to. Here's one in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Paul says that we need to flee sexual immorality. Wow. What opposite th thinking, right? It's opposite to almost everything our world is telling us these days. The name of the game these days is do what feels good. In the moment, do what makes you happy. Do what brings you maximum pleasure in the moment. It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what those, those old, tired-out religious people say or how they look down on you. It doesn't matter how strange it is, how bizarre it is, or even how dangerous it may be. In fact, you know, I'll bet we have a drug here, let me see, that will help you enjoy whatever it is that you want to enjoy safely. A good fight of faith is fought when we flee things like sexual immorality. That's what Paul says. We fight when we say no to things like pornography. It's a fight. We've got to fight. We've got to say no. We fight when we say no to any type of sexual gratification before or outside of marriage. What? Really? I thought that was kind of old school. Well, yeah, it's old school. It goes back to here. And that's why it's still true for today. God knows what happens when you have sex outside of marriage. Christians are failing left and right on this front. It, it amazes me. We, I had a friend who was doing premarital counseling for a couple, and they were, they were living together. And, and he said, what are you doing? Don't you know that um, you know, God's word speaks against us? And they had been in the Christians for a long, long time. They had been to church, faithful Christians, in church every single Sunday. And they looked at him with this look like, what are you talking about? 
And we've dropped the ball here. And it's time we stepped up, that we stepped into the light, and that we got, get honest, we get accountable, and we get serious about being men and women of God who fight for purity, no matter what our culture is doing. It's time to get serious. Sometimes I wonder if one of the reasons that churches are struggling so much is because they have allowed sin in the camp and they've resolved themselves to tolerating it. Are there things in your life that you're tolerating? I've heard it before. Jared, it's, 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 it's hard. It, it, and it's just who I am. I mean, I just have these desires. I have these cravings. And, you know, I, I've tried. I've tried to memorize some verses. I've tried to be accountable. But you know what? I'm tired of fighting. Can't give up. This is a fight. It's agonizing, yes. It's a strenuous struggle. And don't forget that it's worth fighting. Don't forget who you are and whom you serve. We need to flee. Flee the urge to seek personal gain. Flee that desire to uh, experience sex outside of God's design. Uh, another one here in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, we're told to flee from idolatry. We've already talked about just how superior God is, how in incredible and awesome and, and unmatched he is. To worship anything other than him, well, that's just stupid. It's stupid, it's misguided, and it's an affront to his glory, and yet we do it all the time. We need to flee from idolatry. In 2 Timothy 2.22, we're told to flee youthful passions. So when the world says, follow your dreams, be true to yourself, quench your thirst, indulge your every desire, the, the person fighting the good fight says, I'm not going to indulge these desires unless it's in line with the way God has designed and desires me to live. I'm going to flee those youthful passions. First way to fight is by flight, is to say no and run from anything and everything that's not in line with God's word. Okay, I'm fleeing. That's one way to fight. But you know what? There's another way to fight. It's to pursue. We fight by pursuing the things that mark the life of faith. Paul lists six things in verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. People of God are people who know what to fight for. They know what to fight for. They're fighting for righteousness. For righteousness. You know, before it was a surf term. <laughs> Righteous just simply meant doing what is right. Wait, you mean uh, right for you, right? No, no, I mean right Right that's right, period. The Christian worldview, and I would argue the worldview that is right, the one that makes the most sense and the one that uh, our, our world seems to be uh, most consistent with, says that some things are just plain right and some things are just plain wrong. If I come up to you, 
on the sly, grab that wallet out of your back pocket, I steal your identity, now I become you, and I take those credit cards, and I start buying a few nice things for myself. No one argues, that's wrong. It's just wrong. We don't need to sit here and debate as to whether or not it's wrong. It's wrong. Right and wrong are not constructions of society. They're not subjective beliefs made by those who have the most power. God is the one who determines right and wrong. Well, I guess he does have the most power, so he gets to determine right and wrong. I guess I take that statement back. Christians now need to do the opposite of the things that they used to be doing and now live in line with God's commands. We need to obey. We need to fight the good fight by pursuing righteousness, Right living in what we think, in what we say, in what we do. But Jared, you can't be perfect. I mean, come on. Jared, lighten up. Live a little. You know, no one can do this thing exactly the way it's supposed to be done. People of God, you know what? That's not fighting. That's surrender. That's a path of shame. That's the path that Alex and Hyman, remember in chapter one, they went down and they made shipwreck of their faith. Don't be that person. People of God fight the good fight by pursuing righteousness. They pursue other things as well. They fight the good fight by pursuing godliness. Righteousness is external. It's the things that we do is say, say and, and the way we treat other people. Godliness is what's going on on the inside. It has to do with the desires of our heart and the motives. Just as much as we give attention to how we look and the things we do, the impressions we give people, even what we tell other people to do, we need to pay attention to what's going on in here. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to stand up and even preach a sermon like this and tell people what to do and not be doing it yourself. We need to pay attention to godliness. Puritan pastor Richard Baxter wrote, Many a tailor goes in rags that maketh costly clothes for others. And many a cook scarcely licks his fingers when he hath dressed for others the most costly dishes. We need to pay close attention to what's going on in our hearts, do we? Don't we? Are we developing a hunger and thirst for God, a love for God and the things that God desires? Or are we just telling other people what to do? Another great Puritan pastor, John Owen, wrote, a minister may fill his pews his communion role, the mouths of the public. But what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. That's what matters. We can put on a good show. We can preach a good sermon. We can look all clean and washed up on the outside, but not have life on the inside, not have godliness on the inside. Paul himself pointed out in 1 Corinthians 9, 27 that he didn't want to be disqualified after having taught others to be found out that he wasn't following what he was teaching himself. It may not seem much like fighting, but make no mistake, to be on your knees in prayer and to wear out the pages of your Bible with coffee-stained fingers, that's one of the main ways that Christians do battle. They fight the good fight as they fortify their souls, nurture their love for Christ 
by pursuing godliness. They pursue righteousness. They pursue godliness. Then they fight for faith and love. We need to be continually working to build up our own trust and our confidence in God by preaching his glory, just how wonderful and amazing he is, and the good news of the gospel. We need to be preaching those things to ourselves that our faith might be built up as we remind ourselves of his greatness, as we tell ourselves we're forgiven in Christ. We, we remind ourselves of his faithfulness, his great love for us, the forgiveness that we experience. We strengthen that faith. We bolster it. And then as we recognize his love that has been given to us, we need to be praying that that love just comes overflowing, bubbling up and spilling out from our lives and that we share it with other people. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love. Last two, perseverance and gentleness. Now, if you're like me, you can understand how perseverance and fighting the good fight go hand in hand. You know that a soldier needs to bear down and hold up under lots of pressure. He may get exhausted. The going may get tough, but he needs to persevere if he's going to win that battle, right? If, if she's going to endure this struggle, well, she is going to have to find some inner strength and persevere. But gentleness? Where does that fit in? What does gentleness have to do with fighting? And the word used here has to do with um, a controlled strength. Strength, power under control. That's, that's the description of meekness, isn't it? Understanding that there is a power, there is an authority, there is a sovereign ruler over all of this stuff that's happening in our world. We're able to say, Lord, I submit to you, and then respond with controlled gentleness to others as we confidently trust in God. That's exactly what we need to do, and that's exactly what people are really struggling with in our world these days. We are getting very frustrated. We are getting very angry. People are using anything and everything in their power to push forward their agenda, push against other people's agendas, and, 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 and shout, use violence in some cases, swearing, they're not showing Christ-likeness. They're not showing godliness. They're certainly not showing gentleness. They tear each other down. They make slanderous accusations. They make it look like it's up to them to right the wrongs that they see. They forget that God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. They forget who their God is, and they forget that he's the one who's going to make this happen, not them. But people of God, people who are fighting the good fight, they stand firm, yes, they don't bend, they speak up for truth, but you know what? They're able to do it with a spirit of gentleness and with control and kindness and respect because they know that God is the one who's ultimately in charge, not them. 
And so they respond to people with gentleness, with love. They, first and foremost, rather than being right, they want to be Christ-like and they want to be biblical. God's got this. He's in control. He's the one, just like Paul says in Ephesians, that is bringing all things back under his authority, all things back together. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. We need to trust him. This is how we fight. We fight by fleeing. We fight by pursuing. Finally, we fight by guarding and protecting God's word. Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Now that's a, that's a loaded question. Jesus had to have known. If he answers this way, he's going to get one response. If he answers this way, well, he's going to get a very far different response. It could mean life. It could mean death. How are you going to respond, Jesus? Did he hem and haw? No. His response was courageous. It was fearless. And he said, it is as you say. That's how Paul wants God's man, Timothy, to faithfully represent God's word. Speak the truth. Guard it. Keep it. He writes in verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment, unstained, free from reproach, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've said it before, over and over again, you're probably tired of hearing it, but the reality is ideas matter. Ideas have consequences. There's no shortage of bad ideas that are either distortions or flat-out denials of the truth. God's people fight the good fight of faith by guarding and protecting his Word. And so when we use God's word, we need to make sure that we're not twisting this. We're not taking out of it out of context to, so that it says what we want it to say. No, we need to say what it says and nothing more. And then when we hear other people making statements, truth statements that are misrepresenting God's word, well, we need to know God's word enough to recognize that what they're saying isn't true, and then we need to know it enough so that we can redirect people to what is true. We need to keep the commandment, God's word, unstained and free from reproach. This past month or so, there's been a billboard along the 22 freeway and it's a young woman she's wearing a face mask i think she's wearing like a nurse's smock and it says across the the billboard born for this and i've looked at that almost every day on my drive into work and i keep thinking i don't think i'm born to fight coronavirus. I don't think I was born to wear a mask over my face so that no one can see my smile. I don't think I was born for this fight. But you know what? I do know that if you and I have placed our trust in Christ, we were born for a fight. It is a fight. It's a struggle. It's agonizing at times. But it's the good fight. The good fight. Fighting's not easy. Why do we fight? We fight because just like Timothy, the man of God, we are the people of God. 
We belong. We are the children. We are the servants, the soldiers, the warriors of the sovereign, eternal, glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. And to fight for him is not only our duty, but our right and our privilege. How do we fight? We fight by flight from things that are not in line with a life of faith. And we fight by pursuing the things that mark the life of faith. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. And finally, we fight by guarding and protecting God's word. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're tired. I'm, I'm tired. I'm very tired of all this stuff that's going on, the conflict in the world, of the back and forth we keep experiencing, of the restrictions that are placed on me. I am tired. Maybe you feel beat down. Maybe you're a bit worn out. Maybe you're more than a bit worn out. Remember that this life was never meant to be a pleasure cruise. It's a battle. It's a fight. So fight, people of God. Let's fight. Let's fight the good fight and take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. Let's fight for the glory of your king, of my king, and fight for the good of others who have been called by his name. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for the privilege of being yours we take that for granted so often, Lord, because we, we've made you smaller than you really are, infinitely smaller than you really are, and we forget what it means to be children of the King, people, men and women of God. Thank you, Lord, for that privilege. And as we recognize that, Lord, may we never forget that we are in a fight as long as we are walking this planet. We are in a fight a fight for righteousness, for godliness, for faith, for love, perseverance, gentleness. Lord, may we flee from the things of the past, the things that lead us away from you and bring us and others harm. May we flee from those, Lord. May we hold on to your truth. May we keep it unstained and free from reproach, Lord. And may we be the people that you have called us to be, who represent you well, and do what you've called us to do here in our world. We love you. We thank you. Lord, I pray your blessing upon those who are, are listening in, who are watching this, Lord. May you encourage them. May you give strength to the weak, peace to those who are just full of anxiety. Lord, may you lead them to you, their only source of joy and happiness and peace, Lord. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.